In the combat phase, one of the best things you can do is to strike first, strike fast, and strike hard. That's what you can do with first strike. Double strike gives you double the damage to double the fun. An added bonus to both of them is the ability to provide a small amount of protection with these abilities to your creatures. Hello and welcome to this episode of Magic the Gathering Under the Hood. As always, I'm your host Chris and I'm joined by Joe. Say hi Joe. Hello everybody. And at the top of the episode, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, you want to give us feedback, you can do so by emailing us at, at mtgunderthehood at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at MTG Under the Hood. And with that all the way, Joe, what decks have you been working on? Well, I've been in a bit of a rut with my deck building. Been doing some other things since our last podcast um, that's taken me away from Magic for a little bit. But we we did get that Gerard Golgari deck built and got to play that a couple times. That was a lot of fun. I really liked it. That is ab- it's absolutely brutal on his with his ability on just how often you're able to put something out and immediately just get rid of it to just hit everybody for massive damage. Right. Well, and, and that was the plan. Because when, I, I when mean, you're putting Plague Reaver that will make me sacrifice all my creatures at the end of turn, I don't want that on the battlefield. I want to put it down, sacrifice it, move on. <laughs> I mean, there was... I think the first game that you played with it, you dropped a Gal- you dropped Galta. Yes, the 12, 12, I did. I did for two mana. Yes, because you had enough power on the board that right. it reduced it down to green green, and then you you played them, and then you immediately sacked them. Ten. Well, and it ended up being ten damage because you had the gravitational shift enchantment that gave all non-flying creatures mm-hmm. minus two minus zero. But you're right. Even with that enchantment on the field, I still was able to get Galta out for two green, and and dealt 10 damage to everybody in for a total of 5 mana. And that that was the whole point of the deck when you're able to deal essentially cuz it was there were only two other players in the game or three players doing that one. When I'm able to deal 20 points of damage for 5 mana, that's an insane rate. So that deck is sticking around. I like it, but it's going to be another one of those decks where and I, I hate that I get into this rut, but it happens. And when I, when we get a full pod of players, it's a lot of fun. It only works when you're playing against a in a large group. You have you really need to have two, three, four other players in order to make the deck work. Otherwise, if you're going one on one, it's too slow. I don't have the ramp that can really defend myself all that well. And you you are trying to take out. It's a group slug deck. You're trying to take out everybody all at once. It do, it doesn't work out as well one on one. Have you thought about Sanguine Bond? Sorry, uh, Sanguine. Yeah, Sanguine Bond. I have the one not. Because whenever your that. parents, whenever your opponents lose life, you gain life. So if you're dealing 15, 20, yeah. 30 damage to the board, like to all your player, all the opponents, you're going to be, whatever damage you deal, since you're dealing a lot of That's damage true. across the board, you can easily go, okay. I have now tripled my life total. That's true. I might try to put a place in there. I also happened to pick up Exquisite Blood a couple weeks back. Uh, so I'm thinking of putting uh, of getting a Karlov of the Ghost Council deck put together and putting the Blood Bond in there. Mm-hmm. We'll see what happens. I'm currently trying to work something around the card Kelsian the Plague. 
So Kelsey and the Plague came in a Commander product from 2020. Came in the Mardu Humans deck. It has the ability tap, deal one damage to target creature. When that creature goes to the graveyard this turn, you get an experience counter. Then Kelsian gets plus one, plus one for each experience counter that you have. And it has like vigilance and haste. It's a 2 2, and it costs a red, a white, and a black. It's a really unique, fun card, but I'm trying to figure out some ways that I can really make it work. I've come up with a variety of options that I'm trying to figure out, but I just, it, it's all those kind of like, there's just not quite enough to support what I want to do. Because I was originally thinking, well, what if we did like an assassin tribal? Because Kelsian is a human assassin. If we did assassin tribal, well, there aren't that many assassins, and the ones that are out there aren't that great. So then I thought, okay, well, there are a number of cards, like the, the new instant from Kamigawa, you are already dead. Destroy target creature that was dealt damage this turn, and then you get to draw a card. I'm like, well, I can tap Kelsian, deal one damage to a creature, bam, you are already dead. Which, which then takes out the creature, I get the experience counter, buff, and I get to draw a card. Seems like a great idea, but again, there just aren't quite as many of those creatures as I'm interested in. Then I had the idea, what if we built a goad theme, a Mardu goad theme, all right, where I'm forcing my opponents to attack, and then right before one of their creatures dies during the combat phase, I just tap Kelsian real quick, deal one damage to a creature that's going to die anyway, or maybe about dead, but needs like that one extra point of damage, so that I can come in and like be a, um, what's that thing from League of Legends where you're sniping kills from people, all right? That kind of an idea? You just said it. Okay, you, so you I was snipe I'm, kills. I snipe, I'm sniping kills from people, and I still get my experience counter. But again, I started looking at all the goad options that are out there, and it might work, but then I started warping it into this other deck, and I'm like, well, Kelsian isn't the best commander for this deck now. So I think at this point, I'm going to try a pseudo-aristocrats idea, where I'm trying to create a bunch of 1-1 tokens as my defense, and then killing them off little by little with Kelsian. So I'm actually going to get rid of my own creatures in order to buff him up. Target creature you don't control. It, oh, it's you don't control? Oh, uh, well. I mean, looks like it's back to the drawing board. <laughs> just make him a tiny leader. <laughs> I was thinking the tiny leader idea might be the best one for him. Um, yeah, I missed that whole you don't control, and that makes me mad because I have, like, 75% of the deck built now. <laughs> so I'm going to have to go back and scrap that idea, put those cards away. But it, it's that whole brewing process of... The, the, the easy ideas are there. I could do equipment and make him a Voltron commander yeah. And, yeah, and, just, and make that work. I can do the aristocrats thing where it's um, uh, killing things off. Oh, how do they... There, there's a way you can make it work. And then there's like the death touch that you could do to where you're you're getting rid of your opponent's creatures. Um, but those um, are the easy ideas. Oh, what is it? Uh, Thornbright staff. Yeah, that was on there. Yeah, yeah. Where you can tap them to deal a damage, and then whenever a creature dies, you untap the creature. So if you if, yeah. So if you ping something, you get to steal it. Yeah. You get to steal the kill. Draw a card off of, uh, draw a card off of Kelsian, and then you also get to untap them so that you can 
Yeah, but Thornbright Staff is like a twelve or thirteen dollar yeah. card, and so I'm not. I'm just not dropping that much. So, there, and I, I bought the Commander deck because there were a couple other cards that I wanted out of there. Flawless Maneuver is a great card. It's like twenty bucks. It gives all your creatures indestructible until end of turn, mm-hmm. and if you control your commander, you can cast it for free. So I figured, you know what? I was looking at the value of the deck and what our LGS was charging for it. I'm like, you know what? There's enough value in here out of cards that I just want. I may as well just buy the whole deck so I could get all those other little extra goodies that I wanted on top of it. You know, you can never have too many copies of Bajookabog. So, you know, might as well throw that in there too. Don't glare at me like that, graveyard player. (laughs) So... I mean, like I said, we'll give it a shot, we'll try something, but it's probably going to end up being a tiny leader, and I'm okay with that. It'll be fun. But at the end of the day, I've wanted to build that commander for a while. I'm just trying to find something new and different and unique, and it's putting me in a rut. So, we'll get there eventually. Chris, what are your new ideas for this week? So, I've been in a little bit of a rut myself, like with building actual decks or like Mm -hmm. full-size decks or, you know, like commander decks or whatever. But I have been, with all the talk of tiny leaders at our, at our LGS, we've all I've kind of gotten into building a lot of tiny leaders. I think yeah. I'm up to six right now, and I have two more brewing. Oh, that's great! Uh, I have a taste. Uh, the two that I'm brewing is uh, Minsk, the uh, Minsk and Boo. Yeah, the new one or the original? Oh, the the original. The original. Okay. Um. So I'm doing that one as like Naya Stompy. Okay. Oh, that would be cool. Um, Especially being a tiny leader, a Naya Stompy well, like tiny leader. Well, For white, red, and a green, it's a 5-4. Right, but th- that would be interesting. I'd like to see that. <laughs> um, and then the other one is Tesa uh, Orzov Sion. The, oh, the yeah. one where whenever a black creature dies, you create a white uh, spirit token, and then yeah. you can sacrifice three spirit tokens to exile something. Mm-hmm. So... I saw that, and I remembered that Kaya, that there was a Kaya Planeswalker mm-hmm. card, where she deal her ultimate is she deals damage to a player equal to the number of cards that they have in exile. Oh, nice. So, yeah. so and I'm kind of taking, it's kind of my riff of a tiny leader off of your prison deck. Oh, okay. Where it's all exile effects. <laughs> yeah, there, so, there is no destruction. We're getting rid of it for so good. <laughs> I, so I have the, as many exile effects in that. Oh, that's as I brilliant. Do, as I can. It's so mean, but just it's brilliant. So, <laughs> just so that I can have... Because the whole goal is to control the board. Mm-hmm. It, it's almost like an aristocrat's control. Where I control the board by being able to exile... Like, have creatures out, exile them. And then... Sacrifice the tokens to exile things as well. And just kind of keep everything in exile. Mm-hmm. And then protect Kaya enough to where I can get get to her last ability and then just go, oh, you have, like, 12 things in exile? Awesome. Here's 12 damage. Oh, that's great. And I also have things that will return stuff to the... Mm-hmm. Re- return stuff. From exile to graveyard? Uh, no, from, like, if it were to die this turn, return to the battlefield. Oh, okay. Yeah. And uh, there's, like, three of them. All of them do the same thing, and they're, like, one or two drops apiece. Oh, that's great. So, yeah. and I have, and I also have sack outlets in there. Mm-hmm. And I also, uh, I also have a Bastion of Remembrance. So, gain and drain. Yeah. And then Blood Artist. Mm-hmm. And so, pay off to sacrificing everything. And yeah. the idea is, 
Uh, there's one that whenever it dies, it creates a Eldrazi Scion. Is that the the Thrall? Something like that. Like okay. So what you do is so what I plan on doing is using it, hitting it with one of the recursion ones, right? Sacking it to something, getting it a Scion, bringing it back, doing it, hitting it with another recursion, sacking it, getting another Scion, bringing it right. back. So that I can get a lot of payout, like I put them in there just so that I can get added bonuses to, which hopefully on top of it you have things like Zulaport Cutthroat, Blood Artist out on the field, so that you're draining and gaining at the same time mm-hmm. as you're. Yeah, that's uh, when you get a solid Aristocrats deck to work, it works. Oh yeah, there's a reason it's one of the top archetypes out there for uh, the for the Tiny Leader and EDH you know format. It's getting an aristocrat's deck to be balanced and work correctly. That's the hard part. But once you pull it off, it's solid. So it's going to be like a prison aristocrats. Yeah. Um, so those are the two that I'm brewing, nice. brewing and building right Let now. Let me know when they're done. We'll make sure we play. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I just fine-tuned uh, brew rack. So tiny liter mill. Mill. Oh, man. That's, oh. That one's going to be miserable. Oh, um, okay. I also have a Kahira the Orphan Guard, Cat Tribal. Right, that'll be fun. Because why not? Why not? Um, then there's uh, Raza Royal Chaser. Uh, that was, is it Wizards, right? Yep, that's the uh, Wizard one that you can tap it to r- reduce the cost. Uh, the next instant or sorceries play this spell this turn um, is cost X less, um, where X is the number of Wizards you control as this ability resolves. So, X spells. Mm-hmm. Nice. So, uh, so like, Bane Fire. <laughs> yeah. Uh, fireball. Uh, I have some draw spells in there. Um, Reduce it by X means that mana uh, automatically I, goes uh, into Blue Sun Zenith yeah. is in it. Because it is technically two, right? Two blue? Three. Three blue. It's and blue. X. It's X, <laughs> blue, blue, blue. Yeah. And, so, a, and guess what's a wizard? Thoughts is Oracle. Oh man! So Oracle. I so I have so there's and like the wizards that I have in there also kind of are good ones like right because it's somewhat of a it's like a wizard spell slinger so I have like we dragonauts which yeah. gets plus two plus zero oh for whenever you cast an instant or sorcery mm-hmm. and it's a one one with flying um, at at least the Cinderwind wizards you control get whenever you cast an instant or sorcery wizards you control get Plus one, plus one, and flying. Yeah. So there's like payoffs to all of, like, all of the wizards that I have in there, mm-hmm. and so it all just kind of synergizes. And, um, of course I have like teach by example. Of course. So let you double your spells. Expressive iteration. Yeah. Like so I have so I kind of took like the is it decks that are very popular, mm-hmm. and I found what I could use out of them. And then just kind of mixed match and made it my own. Yeah. And then um, I also, but like Adelie's is also a uh, tiny leader com- yeah. it, commander. Like quite popular tiny leader mm-hmm. commander, yeah. So if I want to, I can have, I can switch it out to where Adelie's is yeah. the commander, but it will still pretty much play the same because it's wizard, wizards and spells. Yeah. Um, and then there's uh, the last one that I'm working on is Copla. Uh, the last one that I built was Copla, the uh, Merfolk from Ixalan. 
Yeah, the, that one's a much less known creature. Can you make sure you tell the listeners what Coppola does? Yeah, Coppola. All right, so it's Coppola, Warden of Waves. It's a legendary creature, merfolk wizard. Uh, it costs one blue blue, and it's a 2-2. Two, two. And his abilities are spells your opponent's cast that target a merfolk you control cost two more to cast. And abilities your opponents activate that target a merfolk you control cost two more to cast. So what he's doing is he is essentially giving pseudo ward to yeah. all of my merfolk. That's pretty good. And I also have things that will that I have the uh, I have a few of the merfolk lords in there. Uh, Banneret is of in course. there. Of course, and we already know the merfolk tribal is a solid deck. And I even have, I think I have one uh, Merfolk Tribal Instant in there. Which nice. We, we'll we, we, we we'll talk t- more about that later, but yeah. So Nice. So I built that one as a strict Merfolk Tribal mm-hmm. just because it's funny. Because I, I actually had a Merfolk Tribal Commander deck built around Kamina. Yes, and that one's a much more popular Commander. Yeah, from Merfolk. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I remember playing my Merfolk decks, and I remember that they were fun. Mm-hmm. It's just that it just kind of it kind of I fell away from Tribal a little bit. I, I get that. We all do after a little while. So I gave it a little bit of time, and so I looked at Coppola and went, "Oh, you're a mono blue." Tiny leader mm-hmm. that deals with Merfolk, so that you specifically want Merfolk. Yeah. Awesome. You are the perfect commander for a deck. I was like, all right, you're going to be a tiny leader, and it's going to be nothing but blue Merfolk in it. Cool. So I was like, all right, cool. Let's see how it is. plays. That's pretty cool. Pretty cool. Nice. All right. So with that out of the way, our words to live by. I'll take the first one. Joe, you can take the second one. Sounds good. All right, so the first one is create, as in create a token. To create a token is to put a token onto the battlefield. See rule 701.6, create. Uh, Keep in mind that creating a token means that it enters the battlefield, enabling triggers, and that it is subject to any continuous effects uh, applied to it. Uh, There's also ones that are... That create tokens of permanence, and Joe, uh, that one is... Um, oh, the, there's a lot that the, create... Well, the yeah. one that I'm thinking of is like Reflections of Lit Yara. Yeah. Where you choose a creature, and whenever you cast a spell of that creature type, you copy it. Yep. And So tell us about copy. Copying. So copy is another word, or another word that comes from the comp rules, and just like create, it has its own definition within the world of magic. So to copy in magic is to create a new object whose copyable values have been set to those of another object, or an object whose copyable copyable values have been set to those of another object. Now there's a whole section in the comprehensive rules, section 707, that deals with copying objects. And it can get a little little involved. The best way to think about copying objects, especially when it comes to less experienced players who deal with these copy effects, the way it was, it was presented to me, when you have to figure out what exactly gets copied, 
imagine that you take the take the card, the card itself, place it on a Xerox machine, and make a copy of it. That is literally what gets copied. Now, there are some exceptions. For example, mutate. If you've mutated a creature onto another creature, we have some other things that will get copied if you would make a copy of the mutated creature. But that's a different story, usually, all right? When you copy something, you go ahead, put on the Xerox, make a copy of the card. That's what you get when it comes to copying creatures, enchantments, spells. The only big difference you might have to think about is anything with the mana value X in its casting cost. Then you need to make sure that if you're copying a spell with X in its mana cost, that the copy has the same number for X. So that's why creating tokens and doing copy effects, they can be a lot more complex. Highly recommend you go check out. So there are videos on YouTube that will help you with that. Judges have written a lot of uh, classes and little helpful tips about copying, uh, copying effects and creating tokens and everything. And, and again, these two words, very specific meanings in the game of magic. So we really want to make sure we went over those. Chris, it's time. All right. First and double strike today. All right. So this one is going to be a doubleheader episode like we've been doing for the past couple episodes. But these two are very similar. And that's why we are going, instead of doing what we have been doing, where we cover one and then the other, uh, for this episode, we are going to be covering them together back to back. Uh, so it's just going to be one fell swoop through the uh, show notes for us. So we're going to start this off with the history of First Strike. First Strike uh, begins all the way back in Alpha. There were three creature cards and one aura card with it. It appears regularly in sets up to the present date. And also, the number of cards having or granting First Strike effect varies from set to set. Never a large number of cards, but varies between 2 to 20. Um, so, it's prevalent, but it's not overwhelming. And right. it's from... Kind of like Vigilance was in our last episode. You know, it, it's been a l around for a long time, but it's never a lot. Always with a light touch in every set. Yep. And Joe, take Double Strike. Well, Double Strike actually debuted in the Legion's expansion in 2003. There were two creature cards that had the ability, and that was it. And Double Strike has been a part of Magic ever since, but it occurs much less frequently. It appears in most sets, but doesn't appear in every set. And that's typically because just the power level of Double Strike is way too high to put it on a lot of cards. And we'll get more into that when we talk about the rules. Speaking of rules... The rules for First Strike and Double Strike. So a lot of these are very similar. So we're actually going to talk about them concurrently. And if something is specific to one or the other, I'll make sure that I am very clear about that. So uh, we're looking at 702.7 for First Strike and 702.4 for Double Strike. So, 702.7 and .4 are basically the same. First Strike, or Double Strike, is a static ability that modifies the rule for the combat damage step. And you can see Rule 510 about the combat damage step for more information. 702.7 and 702.4 are, again, extremely similar. If at least one attacking or blocking creature has First Strike or Double Strike as the combat damage step begins... 
The only creatures that assign combat damage in that step are those with first or double strike. After that step, instead of proceeding to the end of combat step, the phase gets a second combat damage step. The only creatures that assign combat damage in that step are the remaining attackers and blockers that had neither first strike nor double strike as the first combat damage step began, as well as the remaining attackers and blockers that currently have double strike. After that, the phase proceeds to the end of combat step. So what we're really looking at here is creating another step within the combat phase, which, as we'll talk about later, is rather important. That also means that during the combat damage step, combat damage is dealt and then priority is passed between both players. So both players have a chance to interact with the board before we move on to the next combat damage step. Now, 702.7 specifically refers to first strike, so we're going to talk about that separately. Giving first strike to a creature without it after combat damage has already been dealt in the first combat damage step won't preclude that creature from assigning combat damage in the second combat damage step. Removing first strike from a creature after it has already dealt combat damage in the first combat damage step won't allow it to also assign combat damage in the second combat damage step unless the creature has double strike. And this is why that passing of priority is so important. People figured out that, oh, if uh, a creature had uh, didn't have first strike, and then after the first strike damage was dealt, if I gave it first strike, maybe it won't be able to deal damage at all because it needs to deal damage during the first strike damage step since it has first strike. That's not the case, all right? So it's all to get rid of those different shenanigans people will try to pull when you're actually using the rules down to the very letter. 702.4, removing double strike from a creature during the first combat damage step will stop it from assigning combat damage in the second combat damage step. Again, want to make sure we're very clear on this. Double strike means you deal it during the first combat damage step and then the regular combat damage step. If double strike, ah, sorry, too many things going on. If you take away double strike, a creature that has dealt damage during the first strike combat damage step is not able to deal it during the regular combat damage step. So if you take away the double strike ability, it already dealt damage during the first first strike combat damage step. So therefore, the regular combat damage step means it checks the creature and says, nope, you already dealt your damage, you don't have double strike, you can't deal damage here as well. 702.4D, giving double strike to a creature with first strike after it has already dealt combat damage in the first combat damage step will allow the creature to assign combat damage in the second combat damage step for precisely the same reason as 702.4. If it dealt combat damage in the first strike combat damage step, the regular combat damage step rolls around and the game checks which creatures have dealt their damage already. If they have only first strike, it kicks them out of dealing damage in the regular combat damage step. But if it has double strike, it's good to go at that point. Or if it didn't deal damage during the first strike combat damage step. And 702.7... Uh, 
D and 702.4E are very similar. Multiple instances of first strike or double strike on the same creature are redundant. There is no double first strike. It doesn't work out that way or anything like that. So, or double double strike. Doesn't happen. They are redundant. That was a lot. Chris, did I make did that make sense? I get through that pretty well? Yeah. Okay, all right. <laughs> first strike hit first, second strike hit first strike, and also regular. Right. Yeah, you got it. Double strike, not second strike. First strike, double strike. I'll just edit that part out. <laughs> fine. Chris, there are a lot of cards out there that have first strike and double strike, but let's talk about a couple of them just so we can give some pe- our, our listeners some ideas to what we're talking about. All right, so first up, we'll handle first strike again. Um, and we're going to go all the way back to Alpha to one of the original first strikers, and that's Elvish Archers. It's a elf creature, Archer. Um, costs one in a green. It's a 2-1 with first strike, and that's it. That's it. Very simple. Next up on our list, we have the Enchantment Lance. This is an Enchantment Aura. Enchant creature. Enchanted creature has first strike, and it costs a single white. And again, this, I think, really gets into the idea of how how important they thought this combat-altering ability was. It didn't just appear on creatures. It was an enchantment that you could give to other creatures as well, and it really does affect how you play the game. What's next, Chris? All right, so the next one is Stormkirk Captain. It's a creature vampire soldier. Uh, it's a 2-2, and it costs one black and a red, and it has first strike and also other vampire creatures you control get plus one, plus one, and have first strike. So it's a vampire lord that also gives first strike. Very popular, especially in a lot of those vampire-themed commander decks, and also was quite popular when it originally came out, and I want to say that was in Avacyn Restore. No, Dark Ascension. Dark Ascension is when it originally came out. Uh, But yeah, very popular card. Next, now I should say finally, we have Glissa the Traitor. Glissa the Traitor, legendary creature, Phyrexian Zombie Elf with its new errata to its oracle text. It costs a black, green, green. It is a 3-3. It has first strike and death touch. And whenever a creature an opponent controls dies, you may return target artifact card from your graveyard to your hand. First Strike and Death Touch are a potent combination. Mm-hmm. Um, you deal. We talked about that in our Death Touch episode with First Strike. You deal the damage first. Any one point of damage is enough to get rid of that, that creature. So if Glissa is going up against three 1-1s, Glissa is going to take out all three 1-1s before they even have a chance to deal damage to Glissa. So rather potent combination there having those two. Let's move on to Double Strike. Chris, what is one of the first creatures to have Double Strike? And the first one is Ridgetop Raptor. It's a creature dinosaur beast. Costs three generic and a red. It's a 2-1. And it has Double Strike. And that's it. That's it. (laughs) That's it. But again, this came out in Legions. It was so new and different that it it was a, a rather powerful card. Next, we have an equipment that came to us from uh, Mirrodin, the Mirrodin set, Fire Shrieker. This is an artifact equipment. Equip creature has double strike. It costs three to cast and two to equip. Um, Fire Shrieker is one of those that 
when when we originally saw it, realizing the power of double strike, people really really liked it. Uh, but it's only become more popular over the years, and it's especially popular in Commander and some of those decks that are equipment-based, giving them double strike and everything. Never a lot of copies in a deck, but always, always something people consider. What's next? All right, so next up is Flying Crane Technique. It's an instant for three generic, blue, red, white, and it's from Cons, and it has... Untap all creatures you control. They gain flying and double strike until end of turn. So, flying gives you evasion. Double strike gives you double damage. Now, you can kind of see with all of the creatures, they were sitting around like three, four, four uh, mm -hmm. mana value to cast. Yeah. This one is six, but you get to untap everything. They get flying and they get double strike. Which, if you drop this as a combat trick, you essentially have given your creatures vigilance. Mm -hmm. And if you use it as a defensive combat trick, an opponent who thinks they're attacking into a completely open board suddenly is going against a large number of creatures that now have flying and double strike. <laughs> it's yeah, it, it can get pretty potent. Pretty potent. Next, we have one of my favorite cards from the, the Streets of New Capenna set. This is Disciplined Duelist. It is a creature human citizen. It costs a green, a white, and a blue. It is a 2-1. When it enters the battlefield, it gets a shield counter, and it has double strike. And I'll tell you what, this card in particular made big waves in Streets of New Capenna Limited. Casting cost in the limited idea, not very prohibitive by any means. There were plenty of mana fixing opportunities in the set to where you really didn't feel like you were struggling to cast a three-colored card like this. And that double strike made a huge difference in being able to keep that shield counter. Yeah, and I, I remember we gushed over this card back when we did the shield counters episode. Yes, yeah, and it, it's still one of my favorites from the set. Oh yeah, like I'm trying to find a good, uh, a good tiny leader to throw him into just because oh. <laughs> it's fun. Yeah, well, yeah, it would be. When we start looking at the dominant colors, first strike and double strike dominated by white and red. So in with first strike, we have about 180 cards in white, 10 in blue, and most of those come with a condition for them to get first strike. 37 in black, about 170 in red, 16 in green, and again, some of those have conditions for how they get first strike. 89 multicolored cards, and again, most of those have either white or red in the casting cost. 47 colorless, and we do have four lands that enable you to either give them first strike or they create creature tokens with first strike. All right, and double strike is uh, has 65 white, Two, with, two in blue with conditions as well. Three in black with conditions as well. 50 in red. Three in green with conditions as well. 40 in multicolor. Eight colorless and two lands. So again, you're seeing that it really is a white and red mechanic. Both of these. But it, it's not solely around those. Other colors can have it, but you're going to have to meet some kind of condition in order to make that happen. 
For the featured decks in Limited or Standard, there really isn't any. And Chris, you and I have been playing for a long time. I don't know about you, but I've just never seen enough cards to make a First Strike deck in Limited or Standard. And I'm kind of glad that that's the way it is. Yeah, like, the only thing that I can really think of is things like Disciple Duelist. Right. But then you're only... Then you only have... in standard right now, you only get four copies of it. Mm-hmm. In limited, you can have more than four copies, but it's if, an un- if you can get them, <laughs> it's but it's an uncommon, right? And you have to be lucky enough to get either crack it in the pack or someone passes it to you. So that and you if somebody get- passes you that, what are they playing? That they're not wanting to at least get disciplined duelist, you know, for their own yeah. deck. Yeah. It, it's a, it, it is a combat-enhancing ability. And just like all the other combat-enhancing abilities we've talked about, Vigilance, Death Touch, Life Link, stuff like that, you have to put a light touch on it. If you put too much to where it becomes a focus of the deck or the primary ability of the deck, it becomes too overpowering. Now, not saying you can't make a deck focused around First Strike and Double Strike, We'll get to that in a little bit. Yeah, you you can, but at the same time, it does start to become a little... Well, it's difficult to do in Limited. Extremely difficult to do in Limited. But even in Standard, you're getting blown out by so many other different methods and, and deck-building options that a first-strike combat-based deck doesn't work as well as people would think. So if you're going to play with first strike or double strike creatures in your deck, what should you do? Well, first and foremost, plan your attacks accordingly. Is it more beneficial to attack or is it more beneficial to not attack and be able to have a good defense? Uh, you also want to note a that a round of priority takes place after the first strike combat damage, like we talked about in the rules. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can use this to your advantage, i.e. ninjutsu. Um, as we covered in the ninjutsu episode with first strike or double strike, um, it's an unblocked creature. It will deal its damage during the first um, damage step. First strike, right. The first strike damage step. And this is first or double strike. Yep. It'll, it'll still deal damage there. And then in between the two damage steps, you can ninjutsu in another creature. Mm-hmm. Well, you can ninjutsu in a creature targeting that one, and then it will check to see did that creature does that creature have first strike double uh, has that creature dealt damage this turn? No, it deals combat damage. Right. So it's a way that you can add in the benefits. Yeah. Um, additional buffs on your creatures only enhance the power of first strike and double strike. If you are able to, um, oh, what is it? What is it? What is it? Exponential growth. X, mm-hmm. X, X, green. Um, double target creature's power X times. Awesome. So, right. So, you're a, if you have, and correct me if I'm wrong, but can you do that after first strike, if it has double strike, after, like, in between the two damage steps? So, yes. You, you can cast, in, you can cast instance, all right, in, uh, when you have priority. So 
but typically you already like no blockers at that point. So typically people would say, well, if if you're gonna go ahead and block with that creature, I'm gonna giant growth my double striker. This way it's gonna deal a lot of damage and then more damage later on. If you like need to kill the creature and don't want to have any damage come at you, or you'll give it trample at that point. Uh, trample and double strike also works quite well, by the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, because um, with trample and double strike, during the first strike combat, uh, first strike damage mm-hmm. step, whatever if it all the if it kills the creature and all of the excess still carries on, yep. and then during the second um, damage step, then all of that damage it. Goes through. It goes through as well, yeah, because it was blocked, but you've assigned lethal damage to the blocker, so if all the lethal damage is dealt during the first strike combat damage step, and say say it's a 3-3 three, three and you have a 3-3, three, three, well, with double strike and trample, you'll deal three damage to the defending creature, and then during the regular combat damage step, that creature is still there, but you've assigned lethal damage to it already, so that other three damage is going to go through. All right, so yeah, um, double strike or first strike and trample works rather well. Uh, but you know, like I said, getting back to your original question, you can put those additional buffs on a creature in between the first strike and regular strike combat damage steps. There typically isn't a good reason to do it, but... It doesn't mean you can't. You can. I just can't think of a good reason to do that off the top of my head. That's all. And then lastly, it, sometimes using your first strike or double strike creatures to bait out removal is the right idea. Sometimes you might have to lose your creature with first strike or double strike in order to have them waste one of their removal spells. I mean, I've done this. You know, I I have been up in, in in a match, especially in limited, where your removal is a high com- high priced commodity. You want that removal, but at the same time, getting ha- having a first striker on the opponent's board is extremely difficult to play around, and especially if it's a big first striker, you know, that, that can do even a two two can deal a lot of damage to you. And so using that removal on the 2-2 with first strike, and then they drop their massive demon, you know, which now I don't have any more removal because I used it on the first striker. It's one of those issues where, you know, yeah, sometimes using that creature to bait out removal, it's gotten me. I'm sure it's gotten you before, too. Yep. You know. So if you're playing against somebody that has first strike or double strike in their deck, you, again, need to plan your attacks accordingly. You really need to make sure you can overpower the first or double strike on your opponent's side of the board before you go in for any attacks. Um, otherwise, uh, unless you can get something out of it, you're, you're just you're wasting creatures. So don't do it. It doesn't make any more sense. Removing first or double strike ability must happen before moving to the combat damage step. And again, we talked about this significantly in the rules. If you're going to remove abilities from your opponent's creatures, you have to do it before you get to combat. Once you get to combat, it is too late. It is too late, and that first strike damage combat step will take effect. Your opponent's creature will deal damage to yours, and that's where we have some problems, right? Removal 
or bigger creatures are the best way to really dispose of first strike or double strike creatures. There aren't too many cards out there that remove abilities and mass like we have here, like we really need. So you just you need to have a murder is great. I mean, two black and a and a, and a colorless destroy target creature. Vanishing vanishing verse. Vanishing verse. Yeah. Well, assuming it's a monocolored yeah. permanent, you know. Um, yeah. Uh, what else is there? Uh, vindicate. Right. You know, you, just removal really is probably the best way to go. Blasphemous act. But if you're playing with big creatures, a lot of times the the double strike, unless it's a big dragon, and there aren't too many of those. There's only a couple big dragons with double strike. But typically, the creatures with double strike tend to be lower on the power scale, you know, twos and threes. So you can probably get through that if you have a big creature. You may still lose yours, but at least you can kill off theirs as well, and you're trading one for one. Uh, be careful of first or double strike creatures being bait for your removal. Again, like what Chris was saying, <laughs> uh, in, in all honesty, in game one, you're not going to know this. You really, really aren't. And you're going to use that removal because that is going to be a problem for you. But be careful of it in games two or three, especially if you've seen a big bomb already hit the field at some point you want to make sure that you're saving that removal for where it's absolutely needed. And yeah, they might have a first striker or a double striker that is really problematic, but unless you really need to get rid of it, make sure you hold on to that removal because sometimes there's a bigger fish that needs to go instead. So just be careful. When we start looking at eternal formats for first strike and double strike, I, I've checked a lot of the, the meta deck list, and I mean, it pops up. You know, it's there. But there isn't a deck that's focused around first strike or double strike. Um, it seems like it's something that's an added benefit. You know, I think one of the main cards in modern, or no, in standard right now, features a couple werewolves that have first strike when they flip. Brutal Cathar, I think, on the back, it has its werewolf has first strike. Thalia, Garden of Throbin. But again, you start looking at those or Thraben, whatever it is. Um, you you start looking at those creatures, they also have other abilities that go with them. And I think the first strike is really just a bonus that gets tacked on to the creature. So But Chris, you found an interesting card that we think could actually help you create a first strike or double strike based deck it just doesn't see a lot of play chris talk to us about it all right so it's a legendary creature human knight and its name is gwendy pride of femoref cause three generic and a white and it's a two two and it has double strike and creatures you control with first strike have double strike so he cares about creatures having first strike because he then gives them double strike and I was going through my cards and I saw this and I went, huh, that's interesting. I have another keyword tribal deck I can build. And there you go. And this one's a double. <laughs> so there you go. That would so be fun. I'm just going to have it as, um, so this one, as long as it has first strike, instead it will replace it with double strike. So yeah. again, you get to double, double your yeah. fun. And so... But when we start talking about cards that could really make a foundation for a deck, Chris, I think finding this one, that that's where you might be able to see first strike 
or double strike actually form the foundation of a deck. Which, don't get me wrong, again, would be extremely powerful in combat. Interaction might be kind of difficult. Alright, so the whole combat trick thing in between damage steps? Yes. I just thought of something. Give something infect. We're going to get to infect here later on, but yes, uh, you're well, right. So, like, having something big with double strike. Yeah. They they put up a blocker just to kind mm-hmm. of, like, lessen the damage a little bit. And then in between damage steps, say it's, you know, like, a 10-10 or something, but mm-hmm. it doesn't have trample. Well, ha. Huh. Well, well, or would it need trample? Well, see, it would need trample in order to go through and deal the infect damage to the opponent. It, it would need trample at that point. But, like I said, it, it's you, another fine. one of those instances, it, yeah. Fine. You give it trample, and then while maintaining priority, you give it infect. Yeah, I mean, you can do that, and yeah, it would work. You know, it's just one well, of those... before combat, well, before damage, you give it uh, trample, and then after first strike damage, then you give it infect to surprise it. Well, no, because if it's dealing double strike, you can... <laughs> if it has double strike and trample and then infect, you can do it after the first strike combat damage to give it trample and infect, all right, if you want to make it that big of a surprise. But I really don't think if you're dealing with something like a 10-10, I don't think it's going to make that big of a difference. <laughs> so... But, but again, uh, being a judge, I'm not here to tell you what's optimal. I'm here to tell you what you can do. <laughs> and yes, within the rules, you can do that. And yes, it would work. All right, now I want... All right, so you used to have a Judge Breaker Commander deck. I used to, yes. I want to build, like, an eternal format Judge Breaker deck, and it's just full of shenanigans in it and doing stuff at weird times. Go for it. We'll do the best we can, and if we don't know the answer off the top of my head, I'll figure it out. Go for it. <laughs> yes! So, first strike, double strike, two really powerful, potent abilities that I, I think are well represented within the game. I never think there's too much of it. Sometimes there might be too little, but at the same time, I'm usually okay with that too. You know, it, It's never really a huge issue. So let's go ahead and move on to some scuttlebutt that we heard about this this past week. Chris, why don't you brought this up? Talk to us a little bit right. about it. So I was on my phone, bored at work, and was scrolling through some of the... In case any of his employers are listening, he works all the time when he is at work. We're just going to throw that out there. He's never sitting there bored. <laughs> no, this is whenever I'm just waiting on something... To- Waiting on someone to get there or whatever. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Whenever I have reason, whenever I have time to reasonably kill time. Exactly. Um, I was scrolling through my phone and one of the Google article thingies that came up was from uh, from Watsi, um, and the title is "Fan Favorite MTG Mechanic Is Being Retired." So that, of course was like, okay, what are we losing? Yeah. <laughs> and like, what are we losing? You can't be that vague. Yeah. And, and not just let it go. Yeah. And just, you know, leave it there. No. So, of course, I went in and was like, okay, and found out that they are retiring tribal spells 
Um, now, what this means is there are cards that are, like, tribal sorcery, and then it will have a creature type next to it. And so it count that spell counts as a um a spell of that type. So like um for deep water roots, that one cares about Merfolk. Mm-hmm. Um that one is whenever you cast a Merfolk spell. So and there are Merfolk uh instants and sorceries. And so whenever you would cast a Merfolk instant, a tribal instant Merfolk, it would actually count towards that trigger and so yeah and it just made your um made tribal decks that little bit more streamlined and everything but the reason why that they're getting rid of it is because of that one thing because it's like it streams streamlines like commander decks and everything very it and not really streamlines it just like narrows it down yeah i yeah but i mean I think I I do have tribal instants and sorcerers, and I think there's mm-hmm. even artifacts as well. Yeah, there are. Um, so, like, I have a few of them. I think I only use, like, one or two of them. It's, I never thought they were overly powerful within the game. I did think the ones that, I mean, when they were used effectively, yeah, they were really, really good. Oh, yeah. You know, but at the same time, I guess... This is one of those things with with wizards looking at the game and how they want to progress from here and all that. They only ever use these tribal ideas, and we want to be very clear, this wasn't a common occurrence. And they're not getting rid of the whole tribal synergy concept. There will still be tribes, they're still going to do like elves, where they care about the number of elves on the battlefield and stuff like that. But these, these are cards that, that that showed up in the Lorwyn block as well as Rise of Eldrazi. Sorry, Rise of the Eldrazi set. And I said they, they don't see a massive amount of play they, unless you get outside unless you get into Commander. They don't see a lot of play in Modern. They don't see a lot of play in Legacy. They don't see a lot of play in Vintage. I mean, you're going to get somebody with a fringe deck that's going to come in and just be like, oh, I'm going to play my tribal deck, you know. And But it never does overly well. It can't really compete. I guess I, I understand with the complexity that can get into it. And Mark Rosewater had said something about this. You know, if, if we label one goblin theme spell a goblin, players want us to theme every goblin's theme spell as a goblin. I get that. You know, but at the same time, I also don't think that they have to. Because there's also lots of spells out there where it's, you know, create two one one goblin creature tokens with prowess. Boom, done. It's not a goblin-themed spell, it's just an instant or a sorcery. And I also wish they'd bring back arcane spells, but they're not going to do that. So, <laughs> you know, I get why they're retiring it. I don't think that it really warranted a big announcement though i mean like was i sad to kind of see it go a little bit yeah i was too it was mo- but like it was mostly focused around the lorwyn block and like it yeah and i think the only tr- like tribal ones that i've seen is marfolk elf they had goblin goblin they did have go- they had rogue stuff as well yeah um, they, yeah they had 
Was it Rogue or Fairy? No, I think it was Rogues. Because I remember I had... I picked up a couple Rogue tribal cards when uh, the Anna One Commander deck came out. Uh, yeah. Ro yeah, tribal artifact. Cloak and Dagger. It's a tribal artifact Rogue equipment. I mean... What what I think is mostly concerning to me about this, I'm concerned that this means that either A, they're not going to return us to Lorwyn, which is sad, because I didn't get to play during Lorwyn, and I I would like to go back to that world and see what's happening now that they're, you know, now once they transition to Shadowmoor, do they ever go back to Lorwyn? It'd be really nice. Let's see what's going on there. But also, if we do return to Lorwyn, it means that the the plane is going to be set up very differently, and the game will be set up very differently from what we experienced in the past. The, what, what I've seen of Lorwyn, and what I've experienced of Lorwyn based off of you know, cobbling together cards and everything, I, I, it seems like a really nice plane, something that I would like to do uh, and like to experience. But I'm not sure that they'll either go back to it or if it'll be the same as it used to be. So, But this also makes me think that Maybe they will retire some other things. One thing that I think they might, that they could potentially retire in the future, is something like Cascade. Because mm -hmm. how often has Cascade just gotten out of control or even yeah. broke the game? I right. Mean, With the most recent Valky, uh, Tybalt Commander from Caldheim, or Commander, Planeswalker from Caldheim. I mean, Cascade, the rules had to be rewritten because people were breaking that card. And, and getting Valky out for really cheap. <laughs> or, you know, going along those same lines, back when Tibble's Trickery was right was unbanned, they would it was a deck that consisted nothing of the Titans, lands... Uh, the Eldrazi Titans, yes. by the way, yeah. Uh, four uh, Tibble's Trickeries and four Violent Outbursts. Yeah, and that was it. And that was it. So you would Violent Outburst, mm -hmm. Cascade... Until you hit Tibble's Trickery because it's the only legal target. Yep. Counter the uh, the violent outburst, mill yourself, and then you just flip until you hit a Titan and you could potentially have a turn three. Yeah. Emrakul. So a 15 15 Annihilator 6? Uh, I don't know what Aeon's Torn was. And I think it was Annihilator 6. But bringing up Annihilator, that's another one. Yeah. That. You know, it was it was good to see that one go away, and I really hope they don't bring it back. I hope that one stays retired, where you know the, it it did prove rather strong, and it was not something even today. People say, "Oh, I'm playing Eldrazi and Annihilator." You know, could be coming down, and people just suddenly they're not exactly interested. See what? In, a, what? A, know, they don't like they don't like having to sacrifice their permanence on attack. So a lot of stuff coming from that. Little uh, and it was on his Rosewater's blog. A lot of stuff, a lot of information coming from that little, little bit of inf uh, little blog that he did post. But it has big implications for the game as a whole. So, Chris, any other thoughts on the removal of tribal as a super type in that mechanic? Like, I'm sad to see it go. I'm. I kind of don't agree with it. Because it wasn't really breaking anything. It was from sets long ago. There hasn't there hasn't been any functional like any notable 
tribal cards printed recently that I can think of. And so, like, I can understand, you know, if they were retiring it just to kind of retire it. But mm-hmm. the whole expectation of it, like, because Rosewater said something to the effect of, something to the effect of, if we expect, like, if they continue to do it and we expect it, then, you know, we're dis- we're dissatisfied or whatever. Yeah. That's only a that's only a small minority of the Magic players. Me, I'm I look at it and go, cool. What deck can I build around this? And yeah. you know what fun can I have with this? Not with, oh, this card has a Merfolk on it, but it's not a Merfolk spell. No, if it Goblin Grenade, that one can easily be a Goblin spell because one, Goblin's in the name. Two, there's a Goblin on the card. Three, it makes sense with that goblin. It does. Like, it makes sense with the gobl- in a goblin deck. Like, that one could easily be a goblin. Mm-hmm. Just because, like, a spell has, like, a certain creature type or whatever on it. It doesn't need to be a tribal. If it, if it fits it, if the card, its ability, flavor text, art, whatever. Like, if it fits into that tribe, it needs, it can be in that tribe. But if it just has, like... Just like the art is ha- has like mm-hmm. you know something in it. No, it, that doesn't qualify it to be a tribe. If yeah. it fits into that tribe's theme, it can be a tribal card. But now we'll never know. We'll never know. Yeah. I mean, you never know. They might errata. They might errata a few cards to make them tribal down the road. But oh, we'll see. It is Watsy. They do what they want. Yeah. <laughs> As I said at the top of the top of the episode, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, uh, you wanted to. Del- uh, if you want to let us know what uh, what your thoughts are on tribal spells being retired or what ability do you think should be retired, you can let us know by emailing us at mtgunderthehood at gmail.com. You can also uh, hit us up on Facebook and Twitter at mtgunderthehood. And with that, I want to say thank you for listening to this episode of Magic the Gathering Under the Hood. I'm Chris. And I'm Joe. We look forward to delving deeper under the hood with you in our next episode. Stay tuned.